Scripture reading this morning will be Acts 2, 36 through 38. Acts 2, 36 through 38. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We want to encourage each and every one to be back again tonight for our worship service at 6 p.m. I do want to mention that we're going to have a, a devotional tonight, an SOS devotional, immediately following our services tonight. And so we want to encourage all of our young people to stay and be a part of that. And so if you can, please be a part of that. We're very grateful for our young people here. And we're thankful for those who have obeyed the gospel in the last week or so. And it is our prayer that they will be great servants of God for many, many years. We're going to be talking today about the theme, Why I Believe Baptism is Essential for Salvation. I want to just very quickly point out that I do have copies of this lesson and I will have those provided at the conclusion of our service today and the reason that I printed these up is because again there's a lot of information to cover and we're going to be moving at a rapid rate and so it might be the case that you're not able to jot everything down and if that's the case well at least you can have a hard copy of the notes and so I would encourage you to pick up one of those at the conclusion of our service. I was asked this morning about a copy of the lesson from last week on, instru on instrumental music, and those copies are out, but I will have some more printed up, and those will be available tonight as well. Why do I believe that baptism is essential for salvation? I think it's incumbent on all of us to know what we believe and why we believe it. Peter said that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our heart always, that we are to be ready to give an answer, a defense to every man that asks us of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, that if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So when we talk about a subject like this, as a matter of fact, when we talk about any biblical subject, the source is the Word of God because ultimately what matters is what God says about the subject at hand. And so tonight, or rather this morning, we're going to be talking about baptism and its essentiality in the scheme of salvation. So as we think about this question, why do I believe that baptism is essential for salvation. The first thing that I think we need to ask is this, what is baptism? When we ask the question, what is baptism, what we must do, what we need to do is provide a scriptural definition. Now it might be the case that some individuals would go to Webster's Dictionary and they would look up the word baptism. 
Well, in our day and time, the word baptism has a number of meanings from a, well, from a religious vantage point. But if we talk about what the Bible says, there are some things that are said that inform us what scriptural baptism is. I would submit unto you that scriptural baptism requires much water, according to John chapter 3 at verse 23. The reason much water is required is because it is a burial in water. In Colossians chapter 2 at verse 12, Paul said, buried with him in baptism. The word baptism, when we talk about this word baptism or baptize, the word literally means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. Nowhere in the scriptures do we read of baptism as sprinkling or pouring. As a matter of fact, you can go back and you will see that historians indicate that in about 250 A.D., 251, we have an instance or we have a record of those who engaged in sprinkling and pouring. It became very acceptable, a very acceptable practice in about the 1500s. But we're not talking about what is acceptable in the eyes of man. But rather what we're concerned about is what does the Bible have to say about the matter? Well, the Bible suggests that by way of scriptural definition, the word baptize means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. It requires much water, John 3, verse 23. The reason is because it is a burial in water, Colossians 2, verse 12. It necessitates going down in the water and coming up out of the water. In Acts chapter 8, when we read of Philip preaching to a eunuch that had been to Jerusalem to worship Almighty God, some would suggest that he was a Jewish proselyte. He was returning home in his chariot. He was reading from Isaiah chapter 53. He asked Philip in the long ago, of whom does the prophet speak, of himself or of some other man? The Bible says, beginning at that same scripture, he preached unto him Jesus. Well, they came to certain water. The eunuch then said, What hinders me from being baptized? Philip then said, If you believe with all your heart, you mayest. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Luke tells us in his narration that both he and the eunuch went down into the water. Now, I said a moment ago that baptism is a burial in water. In Romans chapter 6 at verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him in baptism. And the Bible says not only were we buried with him in baptism, but we were raised to walk in newness of life. And so there is a going down in the water and a coming up out of the water. All right, here's the second question we need to ask as we think about baptism as it relates to our salvation. And that is this, who needs to be baptized? Now really there are two schools of thought prevalent in the religious world. Some would say that, that saints are the ones that need to be baptized. In other words, Christians need to be baptized. 
The other school of thought is that baptism is for sinners. Now, I would submit unto you that when we read in the New Testament about this subject of baptism, that we find baptism is for the sinner. It's not for the saint. Nowhere in the New Testament do you ever read of saints, that is, individuals who belong to the body of Christ, being baptized. Well, let's talk for just a moment about some misconceptions, some false misconceptions, if you please, of baptism. Let me just cite a couple for you. Some would say that baptism is simply a symbol of our salvation. In other words, it is an outward sign of an inward grace. Now, I would challenge anyone to, to provide us with a scripture that set, sets forth that premise. Where in the New Testament do you ever read of baptism spoken of as a sign or seal of salvation? Where do you ever read of any of the New Testament writers telling us that baptism is an outward sign of an inward grace? Well, the fact of the matter is, nowhere in the New Testament is that premise advocated. And then there are some that would suggest that baptism or immersion is for infants. Well, the reason they believe that, that immersion or baptism is for infants and those who practice infant baptism do not, do not immerse, but they rather sprinkle or pour. They have the misconception that children are born sinners. In other words, that we are born as a sinner into this world. Now, can you imagine anyone propagating that kind of doctrine? The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, the son shall not bear the iniquity or the guilt of the father. I don't know of any verse that could be any plainer. Nowhere in the Bible do you ever read of precious babies coming into this world with sin. Sin is a transgression of the law. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 4. Babies are innocent. They are not sinners. Furthermore, to those who would espouse the idea that we need to, that we need to practice infant baptism, how do you account for what Jesus said well, in Mark 16, verse 15, when he said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, he that believeth. Can an infant baby believe in what the Bible teaches? Well, the fact of the matter is, they're, they're infants. They have not reached, reached an age of maturity so that they could grasp the fundamental teaching of Almighty God. In John 6, verse 44, Jesus said, it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Every man therefore that hath heard and learned of the Father cometh unto me. Verses 44 and 45. And so when we talk about infant baptism, we're talking about something that is an unscriptural practice. It's not authorized, it's not commanded, it's not sanctioned, and it was not practiced in the first century. A third misconception that relates to baptism. Some would say that it is a work of human merit. In other words, that when you're baptized into Christ, that you're working for your salvation. Well, again, I would ask the question, where, where do you ever read about that in the Bible? Is it the case 
that if we are baptized into Christ, we are working for our salvation. What we need to understand is that there are works of righteousness. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. There are works included in salvation. There are works excluded in salvation. When Paul wrote in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, when he said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, he was talking about works of merit, works of boasting. We're not talking about those kind of works. It's interesting that those who claim that baptism is a work Fail to read John 6, verse 29. When Jesus said, This is the work of God that you believe on Him whom the Father has sent. Belief is a work. What kind of work? It is a work of righteousness. It is a work included in our salvation. Now in Titus chapter 3, Paul talks about the love of God that was manifested toward all of creation. And then he talks about how we are saved not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but we have been saved by His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which He poured out on, poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. When we talk about baptism, we're not talking about a work of human merit. All right? What about some facts as they relate to baptism? Well, first of all, you need to understand that when we talk about New Testament baptism, that there is a person of salvation. Who is the person of salvation? That's Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that when you read, for example, throughout the book of Acts, and the book of Acts has been called the historical account of the New Testament church. We read in the book of Acts of the birth, the infancy, and growth of the church. Acts chapter 2 is called the hub of the Bible. Well, when you read in the book of Acts about those who are being converted to Jesus Christ, one of the things that is emphasized in these conversion stories is the preaching or the proclamation of Jesus Christ. He is the central figure of salvation. Listen to what Luke recorded in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Of whom was Luke writing? He was writing about Jesus Christ. Why would he say that? Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If we're going to be saved, we're going to be saved in, through, and by Jesus Christ. He is the central figure of salvation. In Acts chapter 2, we read about the preaching that took place on Pentecost Day. Peter's sermon was recorded by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that when Peter stood before those people on the day of Pentecost, nearly 2,000 years ago, he said, You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. That was the central figure of his preaching. Go over to Acts chapter 8 when Philip was said to have gone down to the city of Samaria. You remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the, Jesus said before ascending to heaven, 
that the apostles would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth? Well, here we have the gospel going to the Samaritan people. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 at verse 5 that Philip went down to to the city of Samaria and preached Christ. He preached Jesus. Why? Because he is the central figure of salvation. Later in that same chapter, we said just a moment ago that this eunuch had been to, to Jerusalem to worship. He's on his way back home. He comes in contact with Philip. Philip sits down in the chariot beginning at Isaiah chapter 53. The Bible says he preached unto him Jesus. Why did he preach Jesus? Because he is central to salvation. He is the figure of salvation. He is the person of salvation. In Acts chapter 16, the jailer. You recall the story? Paul and Silas had been imprisoned in the city of Philippi. Their feet had been fastened in stocks. At midnight, the Bible says, they're praying and singing praises to God. An earthquake occurs. The prison doors are open. The jailer's about to kill himself. Paul and Silas then cry out, Do yourself no harm. We are all here. Here's what this man asked in the long ago. What must I do to be saved? And here's what Paul said. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you and your household will be saved. The Bible says in the very next verse, Acts 16 verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to them. Why do you think he said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because this man was a heathen. He was a pagan. In other words, he needed someone to believe in. Verse 32 says that they preached the word of the Lord to him. In other words, they preached Jesus. Why? Because he is the person of salvation. He is the central figure of salvation. So, we talk about the person of salvation, but then also the place of salvation. Now, herein is where we we really find ourselves at odds with many people in the religious world. Most of us, religiously speaking, agree that salvation is in Christ. The problem is we differ on how a person gets into Christ. The Bible says affirmatively that salvation is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Paul said, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Salvation is where? It's in Christ. How do we get into Christ? We are baptized into Christ. How do I know that? Well, in Galatians chapter 3, at verse 26, Paul said, You're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, through that system of of faith that has been once for all delivered, we come to understand that Jesus died on Calvary's cross, shed His blood for our sins. And thus we come to understand what we need to do to appropriate that blood. And so in verse 27, He said, As many of us as have been baptized into Christ did put on Christ. We are baptized into whom? Into Christ. In Romans chapter 6 at verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into Christ Jesus. Why are we baptized into Christ? Because that's where the blood of Christ resides. If you and I want to appropriate the benefits and the blessings of salvation, that being the grace of God, the mercy of God, If we want to appropriate the blood of Christ, we have to go where it was shed. Where was Christ's blood shed? It was shed in His death. John 19, verse 34. That's why Paul said in Romans 6, verse 3, that we are buried 
with Christ in that watery grave of baptism. That's why I wrote, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We're immersed in water. When we are immersed in water, we contact the blood of Christ, the grace of God. That, that abundance of spiritual blessings referred, referred to by Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 3. Listen to him in verse 7. In whom, that is in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. When we're baptized into Christ, what saves us is not the water but the blood. It's the blood of Jesus. We're not saying we're saved by water. We're saved by the blood of Christ. But the only way that we can appropriate the blood of Christ is by being baptized into Jesus Christ. That's why John wrote in Revelation 1 verse 5, Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his blood. Peter said in 1 Peter 1 verse 18, We have been redeemed not by corruptible things, but rather by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we talk about the person of salvation, the place of salvation, and then the prerequisites or the plan of salvation. And you need to understand, you and I both need to understand, all of us need to understand that there is a divine plan of salvation. There is a pattern that we must follow in order to appropriate the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Christ. And so we ask the question, what do we need to do to be saved? That's what was asked on Pentecost Day. The Bible says that those who were pricked in their hearts cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? The jailer in Acts 16 cried out in the long ago, what must I do to be saved? Well, when you and I begin to look at what the scriptures say, we need to understand that we can't just lift a verse out of context or pick and choose certain verses to meet our whims or desires, but rather we have to look at the whole of scripture. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 160. The sum, the entirety of your word is truth. We have to look at the sum totality of God's word, weigh the evidence, and then draw our conclusions. What are the conclusions then that we can draw from looking, for example, at the book of Acts? Well, on Pentecost Day, you remember the central figure of Peter's preaching was whom? It was Jesus Christ. So here were people that believed in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Why do, why do we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Because Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. The Hebrew writer said, without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing unto Him. If you and I do not have faith in the Son of God, then we have nothing. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, He that believeth. We have to believe in whom? In Jesus. As whom? As the Son of God. Then we are commanded to what? To repent. On Pentecost Day, when the people present cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Peter say? He said, repent. That means a change of heart, a change of direction. It means to do a 180 degree turn. The Lord himself said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. We have to be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin. In Acts chapter 16, when we, when we read about that jailer that heard the word of the Lord, the Bible says he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. I think that was indicative of his penitent heart. He understood that he was in the wrong. 
Well, Peter said we are to repent. That, repent, that repentance is prefaced by belief. And then what do we do? We confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The eunuch acknowledged, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. That's confession. That's confessing that we believe the claims that have been made in the New Testament about the Son of God. But we're not finished. The Bible also says that we are to be immersed or baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized unto or for the remission of sins. Now you need to understand this. There are a lot of people in the religious world that will tell you that you are baptized because of your salvation. And they want to key on that, on that word unto or for in the Greek, that word ice. They would make the claim that it means because of salvation. But if you go back and you look at the original language and you begin to search, you'll find that many scholars, many, many, many scholars in and out of the church will suggest that both repentance and baptism are linked to the remission of sins or to our salvation. Go back to Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus said, This is the blood of the, of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's the same clause used. If you say baptism is non-essential to salvation, you're saying that the blood of Christ is non-essential to the salvation of your soul. You can't do that. You see... What God in His Word has said is true. Baptism is essential to salvation. Look at the cases of conversion. In Acts chapter 2, what do you have? Some 3,000 souls being baptized into Christ on Pentecost Day. Acts chapter 8, we alluded to that a moment ago when Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to the people. The Bible says that when they believe Philip, preaching things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of the Lord Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women, not infants, but rather people that had reached an age of accountability and maturity. They believed that message, they repented of their sins, and they were baptized into Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 16, the jailer, when he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, and you'll be saved. They preached the word of the Lord unto him. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and they were baptized, he and all his family. Why were they baptized? Because they understood they needed to be baptized in order to be a part of the family of God. In Acts chapter 8, when we, when we think about the eunuch, you ever thought about when Philip opened his mouth and preached unto him Jesus. The Bible says that they came to certain water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? There's not one word in Acts chapter 8 that suggests explicitly that Philip preached baptism to the eunuch. But here's, here's the point. If you preach the man, you have to preach the plan. When he preached Jesus, that encompassed 
preaching about New Testament baptism because New Testament baptism is Christ-centered and cross-centered. You can't preach about Jesus Christ without preaching about baptism. Why? Because if you hear about the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the blood of Christ, surely you'll want to know how to contact all those things. So in Acts chapter 8, when Luke tells us that he preached unto him Jesus, you have to infer he preached New Testament baptism. Because he said, see, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you mayest. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They both went down into the water, and the eunuch was baptized for what? For the remission of sins. In Acts 18, verse 8, we read about the people in Corinth. The Bible says that many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. What did they hear? They heard about Christ. Why did they need to hear about Christ? Because the Bible says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So what do you have? You have hearing the gospel, Romans 10, 17. Believing the truth, Acts 18, verse 8. You have repenting of sin, Acts 2, 38. Confessing the name of Christ, Acts 8, verse 37. Being baptized into Christ, so that your sins will be washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. Those are the cases of conversion, just a sampling of the cases of conversion. Now, very quickly and thirdly, let's ask this question, why be baptized? Why would anyone want to be baptized? Why should you, if you're here today and you've not been baptized or immersed in water, why should you want to be baptized? Let me tell you why. I can sum it up in one word. It's called salvation. You can't go to heaven without being baptized into Christ. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, then you're outside of Christ. You do not enjoy communion with God. You do not enjoy fellowship with God. You're not a part of the divine body of Christ. So, why be baptized? Let me just give you at least four reasons why you need to be baptized. Because baptism stands between the sinner and salvation. You can't be saved without being immersed in water. That's what Jesus said. In Mark 16, verse 16, Jesus said, He that believeth, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved. Now, there are a lot of people in our world today, they'll tell you, you've got to believe on the Lord. They'll make, they'll make their case that you've got to repent, that you've got to confess the name of Jesus, but then they'll come to baptism and they'll say, it's not essential in the scheme of redemption. I heard a preacher on television, very well known. As a matter of fact, he is internationally known. And he asked a question about baptism. He said, is it an option or an obligation? He said, it is an obligation. And then he turned right around and said, but you don't have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. Now, you can't have it both ways. It's either an obligation or it's an option. It's either commanded or it's not commanded. You either have to be baptized or you don't have to be baptized. Well, the Bible says that if you're not baptized, you will not enjoy salvation. And bear in mind that when Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, that is a direct quotation from the Son of God. I'm not embellishing what Jesus said in any way. I am not paraphrasing what Jesus said. I'm not commenting on what Jesus said. I am quoting what the Son of God said. And Jesus has all authority, Matthew 28, 18. Here's the question. Do you believe what Jesus said? 
Baptism stands between the sinner and salvation. Baptism stands between the sinner and remission of sins. Acts 2 verse 38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, unto the remission of sins. Had you been present on Pentecost Day, would you have stood up and said, Wait a minute, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about? We talk about the sinner's prayer. Where in the New Testament do you ever read about the sinner's prayer? Not one time. Nowhere in the book of Acts do you ever read of somebody praying their way into heaven. I read about people being baptized into Christ. Now, don't you think it would have been an opportune time for Peter to have said, if you'll just say this prayer after me, you'll be saved? Peter didn't say that. The audacity of some people to say that all you have to do is say the, the sinner's prayer and you'll be saved. Well, here's the fact of the matter. I want to do what Jesus said. I want to do what the apostles said, not what some man says. Not, so, not what some theologian says. The Bible says that baptism stands between the sinner and salvation, between the sinner and the remission of sins. It stands between the sinner and the washing away of sins. Acts twenty two sixteen. 16, Ananias instructed Saul of Tarsus, and now why tarriest? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What was Saul of Tarsus instructed to do? Be baptized into Christ. Why? To wash away his sins. We sing the song, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When we're baptized into Christ, what do we contact? The blood of Christ. We enjoy the blessings of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You can't enjoy the blessings of the blood of Christ outside of Christ. How do we get into Christ? We're baptized into Christ. And fourthly and finally, Baptism stands between the sinner and the church of Christ. I know there are a lot of people in our world today that will tell you you don't have to be a member of a church or of the church to go to heaven. Well, let me tell you what. The Bible says that you have to be a member of the church of Christ to go to heaven. How do I know that? Well, let's go back to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, unto the remission of your sins. Verse 41 says that some 3,000 souls obeyed the gospel of Christ. Verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. What is the church? Well, in Colossians 1.18, the Bible says He's the head of the body of the church. In Ephesians 1.22 and 23, Paul said He put all things in subjection under His feet, made Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body. The church and the body are synonymous. They are one and the same. Christ is the head of the church. There's just one church. There's just one head. There's just one body. There's just one head. How do we get into the body of Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. By one Spirit were you all baptized into one body. Why be baptized? Because that's what puts you in the body of Christ. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, you're not in the body of Christ. Do you have to be a member of the church of Christ to go to heaven? Ephesians 5 verse 23, Christ is the Savior of the body. How many bodies are there? Ephesians 4 verse 4, there's one body and one spirit. Even as you are called and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God, Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. You see, that's what the Bible teaches. I'm not interested in what man teaches. This is not what 
this, this is not, it's not my doctrine. It's not something new that I've come up with. But rather this is, thus saith the Lord. Book, chapter, and verse. That's the only thing we have to stand upon. Now if you leave here today and you walk away saying that Mike Hickson says you do not have to be baptized into Jesus Christ to be saved, you're not telling the truth. You're leaving here believing something that I did not say. I'm saying if you're not baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, you are lost and dying and you stand to face the wrath of Almighty God. If you're baptized into Christ, you enjoy the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Christ. You become a member of the church of Christ. You become a part of the redeemed, the cleansed, the saved. And if you'll live faithfully until death, the promise is the crown of life. Why do I believe that baptism is essential to salvation? Because that's what the Bible teaches. And Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak the oracles of God. Book, chapter, and verse. That's the kind of preaching and teaching we need. That's what a lost and dying world needs to hear. There are a lot of people basing their salvation on think-sos and maybe-sos, and this is what my preacher said, and that's what this guy said, and that's what this person said. Let me tell you what. We need to cultivate the spirit of the Bereans who searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. Acts 17 verse 11. Don't take what I'm saying because I say it. Take it, compare it to the word of God. If what I have said is truth, believe it. If it's not true, disbelieve it. But do what the Bible says. Are you here today and not a Christian? If you've never obeyed Christ, if you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, could I encourage you this hour? Within the past week, we have had four precious people to be baptized into Christ. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've not been baptized into Christ. That is immersed in a watery grave of baptism. Why not do that this hour? If you're here today, maybe you're not faithful. Why not come home? James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.
again rejoice this morning as our brother Winston Lauder comes forward, repenting of some sins in his life. Winston says that this past week he has said some things, uh, basically out of retaliation, and that he is sorry for those things that he said, and that he wants to make those things right with God this morning and repent and repent of those things. And we we thank Winston for your courage and for your desire to do what's right and to live that Christian life, which is indeed a daily battle. And we appreciate him so much. Let's go to God in prayer at this time. Our Father in heaven, we indeed rejoice this morning as our brother Winston Lauder comes forward. Father, we're so thankful for thy son and for thy love that gives us the opportunity to repent of the sins that we commit. Father, we pray on behalf of Brother Winston this morning as he has made public the sins in his life, as he desires to make those things right, as he desires to live as a Christian and to be that example. And Father, we're thankful for his example to us. And we ask thee, Father, to be with each of us as we strive to live the Christian life, as we strive to make those things that are wrong in our life right, and that we lean on thee and Father, we know through thy word that, that we will be forgiven when we repent of our sins. These things, Father, we pray in this, thy son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. As it has been mentioned, we do rejoice. And if you read the bulletin, we had three baptisms. Brianna Church, Jordan Sanders, Corey Brewer, and then Wednesday, Christina Bynum. We're so proud of you, Christina, and your example, and all of this example that is sitting on the first three pews here. So, and we're so proud of our young people. We're going to be showing our uh, desire to honor those who are graduating. There's four that will be graduating, and the banquet that we have planned on the 16th will be to honor Anna Now, Ben Stewart, Kayla Surratt, and Tara Surratt, Tara Surratt. So we are proud of all of our young people. And we want to thank each and every one of you for being here this morning, for being together as we worship God on this beautiful day. Hope that nobody had any damage from yesterday's storms. We have such a beautiful day this morning. We thank Brother Mike for preaching the truth as he does so adequately and for his sermon this morning. The next time that we have to come together will be this evening at 6 o'clock and we look forward to seeing you then. Number 458, shall we stand sing the first and third verses? 458.
pray with me, please? Dear Lord in heaven, we want to thank you for this beautiful first day of the week that we've had to come and worship and learn from your word. Lord, we pray that you be with the ones that have lost loved ones and have lost their homes during the storms that have come through the past few days in this part of the country. Lord, we want to pray for our sick of this congregation, the ones that have lost loved ones. Please comfort them. We pay, pray for our youth of this congregation. May they continue to grow and be strong. We pray for the ones that have been added to your kingdom this week and last week that they may grow to be mature Christians. Lord, may we take what Brother Mike has taken, given us this morning, and may we explain it to someone that may not understand fully. We also pray for Brother Winston. Be with him. Be with all of us as we return next time. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.